Hey, everybody. I don't know how to start it off. What are your thoughts about the intro? All right. Well, I wrote down a list of points. Boundaries for our podcast. We curse a lot. Fucking obviously. We tell stories and jokes. We are allowing ourselves a space to talk about important and challenging subjects. <laughs> if any of these things are not okay with you, please don't listen to this podcast. But I, I think we should keep talking about this for for a minute and make that the intro. Just kind of take some of each of our statements and and make that the intro. And also I'll use the fart noises. Welcome to How I Met My Brother. We're fucking rolling. We're fucking rolling. <laughs> That's that's just the way that it is. Here I got I have something for you. One of the benefits of recording in person is I get to actually hook up my soundboard. So we've got unlimited fart noises for this episode. <laughs> yes. Um, so, Heidi, you have been here um, for uh, almost a week. Um, tell everybody about it. Um, in less than five minutes, go. Oh, my God. So should I fact check? If you wanted, I don't know. Do I kind of think we should put this episode out to everybody. Okay, that's fine. Maybe. I can put it out. I, I mean, I could, I could probably put it out just as tomorrow's episode as a surprise, and then go back to all the other stuff that we've already recorded. In fact, I think I, I think I said that that was what I was going to do on a on on something that we already recorded, which now will not release until after this. That thing. That thing. And y'all are lucky we have not released that one yet. Time travel. Anyway, um, tell us about your experiences in the last week. Okay, but first I'm going to fact check. Okay, fact check. So I talked to my adopted mom who listened to the first episode. And um, I ha- there's a couple of things from the first episode that I'd like to fact check. We are now on episode nine. <laughs> or something like that. So... Uh, slight details about growing up. I said in the first episode that I did a lot of four-wheeling throughout my childhood at a cabin. The truth is that we didn't get the four-wheeler until I was like in my 20s. So when I was in my youth at the cabin, I didn't four-wheel. I walked everywhere. And I had a great time walking. It was fun. Running, playing, hide-and-seek, chasing bears. I think the accuracy accuracy of that detail was more important to your your adopted mom than it would be to probably anybody else in the audience. But now that that's cleared up. Um, The other thing is another slight detail. I said in the first episode that we moved every year growing up. That is not correct. We moved almost every year. (laughs) (laughs) And... Uh, in junior high and high school, we didn't move. We stayed in one place, which is the wonderful military base of Yuma, Arizona. And 
that's it for me for fact check. You got any fact check, Leo? And I, I don't. I just want to say that in the future, we will do our very best uh, to be 100% accurate about all of the details about our respective youths. It's tough, though. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's tough. <laughs> it's, it's impossible to be perfect because we're not perfect. Yeah, no, we're not perfect people. Nor... <laughs> But we expect all of you in the audience to be perfect. Just kidding. We expect we expect you to acknowledge your own perfect imperfection. Yes, that sounds like something like the. Oh my god, some, that's from some, a book, the self help book. Shit. Yeah, Oprah, totally. you yeah. should check. It. Yeah, Oprah, Oprah. Right, writer. This podcast now sponsored by Oprah. <laughs> Five and ways you where get, you can be happy. And you get generational trauma. And you get generational <laughs> trauma. And you get generational trauma. <laughs> There's going to be another one where I have coughing. I have to edit out. My brother is a little sick. I am. Uh, under my, the weather. My wife and I got sick over Thanksgiving weekend, which was a real bummer because we had to miss out on a lot of the fun. Um, but Leo um, had to eat food in a corner while watching everybody in a mask. I, I it did. was sad. I sat in a corner. <laughs> But he did play an epic round of Cards Against Humanity. Yeah, yep. we played some Cards Against Humanity. I made some some good rolls. I made a I made a turkey bread a bread turkey, which I had never made before. No, it was a it was a loaf of bread that looked like a turkey. Everyone and I was I was I was pretty pleased with how it came out for uh, for my first attempt at it. I really wanted to spank that turkey. Yeah, <laughs> it was spankable. Yeah, I like to spank shiny. melons. Real shiny. I mean, who doesn't like to spank melons? <laughs> And a squash, a good spankable squash. Yeah, no, any any like uh, large, you know, melon or gourd. It's it's just uh, yeah. If you don't, it's it's weird not to. <laughs> yeah, it's um, a great way to release tension. We should tell Oprah about this one too. It's called Spankable Melons: The Way to <laughs> Healing All of Your Ancestral Trauma. <laughs> 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 yeah spank some melons yeah um no so uh yeah i i assume anybody who's who's listened to this oh. this far has got to be uh dying to know how um how meeting your birth father has been going holy shit <laughs> okay so it's so, so i'm still looking at you and it's still tripping me out and it's <laughs> even better to look at you while we're talking because uh I just get to laugh all the more. <laughs> it's just great. Um, but it is really trippy. I don't know how to put words to it. Um, when you're adopted and then you find your family and then you're terrified if they're going to accept you or not. And then they accept you. And then what was also what has also been curious is that my biological mom has been reaching out and communicating with me on this round. And so I've been seeing all of her sisters as well and cousins. And so it's definitely been um, scary yeah, and wonderful. I've never felt anything like this in my life. I t- I'm, I'm going to be leaving to go back to Missoula on Tuesday. And today I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to leave my brothers. I love them so much. <laughs> I love my brothers. Uh, I, I, I'm so happy to have brothers <laughs> who are wonderful human beings. 
so talented and intelligent and funny and um, not super arrogant, which is so rare, it seems like, these days. (laughs) (laughs) I like the specific note, and and thank you. I'm glad. I I don't think about that that much, but I'm glad that's the, uh, the vibe. So, yeah, that's, that's good. I think uh, playing music with Divot, um, I, I had a huge moment, yeah, after listening to him play the other night, I think I had a big cry in my car on the drive home, and I don't know how to, it's like, it's not sadness, it's just this feeling of um, having found something, having found something that I didn't know was missing. Yeah. In a, in a father. Do you think there's an element of that that is um, like uh, grief for the time that you haven't had the thing that you now have? Yeah, it's a lot of things. Um, it's a a feeling of reuniting with someone that I've known forever. I think... Because so many parts of Divot, he didn't start developing until after I was born. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you know, they were seeds in him, being an artist, and but he didn't start being a professional artist until much later in life. Yeah, and he was also really early on in his path of um, food and gardening and all of that. That was also pretty new for him. So a lot of the stuff that I picked up as I grew didn't come from biology so no i mean they're sort of um i mean you can you could describe them as things that um destinations that you both independently reached so it's not like he was already i mean he was uh, a chef already at the time when when you were born um and like had done some gardening but he's you know now got you know 40 plus years more experience doing it um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it's certainly interesting that, um, cause like I, I look at my own, you know, tendencies towards like cooking and gardening and stuff like that. Um, and I go, well, yeah, like that's obvious why those things kind of come naturally to me because I grew up watching my dad do those things. Um, but Maybe it's not so much a monkey see thing. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it is more nature, more, more, you know, something deeper in the, in the brain or in the genes. Um, because obviously you didn't have, you know, no, like none of your parental figures growing up were doing that stuff. And, uh, I mean, obviously like your adoptive parents cooked food and everything, but uh, from what I, what you've said, it's not kind of to the, the same no, like, and no, like hippie. No, uh, no fermented tomato. No, sauce or no, no, t- no fermented hot pepper sauce or anything like that. <laughs> fermented everything. Fermented everything. But something drew me to that, and it wasn't my jam at all. Even through uh, college, I started to get into healthy food in college, and I started to get into like LSD in college. <laughs> <laughs> And girls. Oh, college was great. (laughs) Those were the days. But it wasn't until 
I joined the Rainbow Caravan for Peace in Latin America that I really started to dig into my hippiness. <sighs> so it's interesting. Um, the similarities between all of us is very interesting. Like that, that all of us um, share some things and some like relatively similar ethics around the earth and around creativity and um, around allowing people to have the freedom to express themselves in the world and around capitalism and religion and just so many things. Mm-hmm. Do you know the answer? <laughs> Why? The, what, what, to, the, what, the, answer to what, the answer to what? How? How? How, did, how are we similar people? I mean, I think it's, uh, I mean, now we're, de- now we're in that nature nurture shit, baby. We're like, uh, I mean, we've uh, uh, a huge cornerstone of this of this podcast already has been <clears throat> exploring um, the the concepts of uh, of inheritance, um, you know. And we I mean, we've talked a lot about uh, generational trauma and, and stuff like that. And um, but the just the general idea of uh, and there, there's there's not an answer, and we're certainly not going to find one on on this podcast, but. <laughs> Um, the, the questions of what does the, you know, what, what do the actions of the parent, um, you know, to what extent do they, uh, impact the child versus what do, you know, what, what's, what's inherent? What, what is the, what is the child born with? Um, and I would add another thing, this might be too meta, but there was a physics guy who wrote a book about this and I can't friggin' remember his name, but it's a theory of like, when when something happens organically on the planet, when multiple people um, come to realize something at the same time, that there might be actually like psychic fields. Mm. But just it's just interesting and curious. Is that some that like we can collective be, unconscious kind of thing? Something like that. Yeah, it's not the collective unconscious. It's a different one. But it is related to like the a field of consciousness, and I can't remember. I should look that up. I'm going to write it down because, like, I started doing yoga mm-hmm. in my twenties. Was Divid already doing yoga then? Yeah, I mean, I think he's been doing yoga since the seventies. And Janet. Am I allowed to say these names? Yeah. (laughs) She's done yoga and she's done tons of healing work on herself. Yeah. It's really easy to get along with her as well. Mm -hmm. What is, what was it like being raised with these two? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I know that they have their own issues, but yeah, no, they both seem to just really try to be deeply decent humans. Yeah. Um, that's uh you know going back to what we um talked about on the well i guess that'll air after this now that when we're um, talking about religion and stuff and it's one of the things that that gives me the strongest pushback uh against any any religion um when they like it's it's you know basically uh fundamentalism or when you know, when, you, when there's um when when the core of what a religion is trying to do 
um, is not about doing your best to live a good life. Uh, because that is <clears throat> a lot of, uh, I, I would say most religions are, are founded on that and the details of how one does one's best, you know, varies from religion to religion. Um, but there are also, um, people who will say that, no, just being a good person is not enough. If you, uh, you know, if you, it doesn't matter if you live a good life and are a good person, if you don't do these things, this, you know, check these boxes, perform these rituals or, you know, pray to this person, this, this figure, this whatever, um, then it doesn't matter how good your life is. It doesn't matter how much good you do in the world. Um, you're still, you're like, you're not, you're not going to whatever the good thing is that I believe in. Um, you know, you're, you're not getting the reward. Uh, what, whatever the afterlife reward is that um, that you know that 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 we believe in, um, and that's that, that's a really poisonous um, perspective. Uh, and I'm and I'm not naming a specific religion, even though you know uh, I'm sure there are um, plenty that that come to mind. Um, but the the reality is that over the course of time, there have been plenty of you know different. Uh, religions and uh sects and whatnot that have uh, risen and fallen um that that have played on that to to varying degrees um and to me the uh, like the only thing that i can see when i when i see that is that that that's an attempted exertion of control because there's no there, there's no logic um and it's funny when i like i i insist on uh, on the application of logic when it comes to religion uh, even though I fully recognize that, um, like evidence when it comes to religion, evidence when it com- comes to proving the metaphysical doesn't exist and can't exist because as soon as evidence can exist, then it's no longer metaphysical. It's, it's, it, it, it is, you know, like w- once it can be proven, then it's science. It's not, it's no longer like, uh, it's, it's no longer within the realm of religion. Like religion is the realm of the things that cannot be proven by science. Um, but my, I guess my, or my the, the point that I was trying to get to is that, um, I, I think the thing that because we didn't have a religious framework we didn't we weren't we didn't go to church very much occasionally but that was pretty much it um, and you know definitely we're, we're not given in any regular religious rituals or any any specific dogma and I've told you about uh, dad's position on uh, <laughs> that uh, that religion should be treated like a controlled substance and it shouldn't be should be illegal to give it to children <clears throat> Um, but so the, the, the one core, um, religious or spiritual belief that I, I came out of my childhood with is that, um, you should be making an effort to be a good person. Like that's, that's the only thing that I can say <laughs> is universal and that I really think is, is true. And, and to the extent that anything within any religion can be genuinely true, um, is that, yeah, if there's anything that I can say with confidence, um, that if there is a higher power, if there's something judging us, if there's, you know, if, if there's something that we have to, to answer to at some point in, in an afterlife or whatever, um, the only thing that makes sense is that, um, that judgment or, you know, that assessment would be based on whether or not we have done our best to be the best person that we can be and to improve our own lives, improve ourselves and improve the lives of the people around us. And I think, um, one, your mom and I talked today and we tend to judge people a lot on that. Um, all of us, I think do that 
in any given day, like judge people and whether or not they're being a good person. And I also think that it's not necessarily up for us to judge because someone like who died of alcoholism or committed suicide or something, they may have done the best that they could in this life with everything that they were given. Yeah. And that that's, and they had to go in that way. And there's just no cause for, and no reason for us to judge there. I think there is a place for discernment and being able to recognize when people are evil <laughs> and greedy fuckers who don't care about anybody and then not let those people be in positions of power. Well, and, and <laughs> even before you get to the question of, of, uh, of who we allow to be in positions of power, just think of, just, just go to the level of, of like, it, it is not judgment uh, to assess somebody and to say that whatever aspects of that person lead you to the determination that that you need to have a boundary with that person like right. that's that's not judging and people who are manipulative will behave will, will pretend that that is judging uh, because they will then act like they are the victim and we talked about this just kind of uh, broadly and it does and, and not not really about um, any uh, like specific person but it's just kind of in in a way I mean it's like what I was talking about is is in the the broad sense of of the way that people is, um, <clears throat> because one of the things that people who are are manipulative uh, will do is to make themselves the victim. And so when you when, when you try to create a boundary, they will turn that into. And this this goes to like this ties into generational trauma because because yeah. manipulative parenting yep. is fucking huge. Yeah. Um, making like to parents who turn their adult children. Uh, into uh, you know, yeah. like the, the uh, who are con- constantly um, infantilizing them, who are uh, like one of enmeshing one of, emotionally enmeshing. Yeah, uh, I've seen this where adults stay emotionally enmeshed with their adult children. Yeah, um, almost reaching out to the adult children as if they were the adult. Yeah, and 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 it prevents the it prevents the adult child from really being able to function independently as, as an adult. It does. Um, yeah. That's you know. what I can see in the thing that you and I were talking about. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to talk about it on this podcast, yeah. but I can see now. And it's, I would add to what, I just think what you're saying is so great and it's so important. And I think um, for all of us on this planet, we're we're in a, a slow process, hopefully, of awakening. And some people are, are waking up, some are not. We're all doing it in different ways. And and part of it is to have the courage and the vulnerability to be able to see some of this manipulation, but without shaming or being judgmental towards the people who were doing that. It's just a process of evolution. And that I think also when when you look at manipulation that occurs with parents to kids, um, that also is occurring within the global regime. Well, and and, and those I think are very connected. Well, it, it totally isn't. So you just made me think of so um, through work, uh, I have gone through a ton of leadership classes, uh-huh. um, and one of the things that those make me think of, there, like there is this this connection between because the the um, the the companies the the leadership training courses and stuff that my um, the 
the guy in my company who's in charge of like deciding what curriculum the management is going to go through um, is really good. Um, and he has a re- he's he's one of the reasons that I'm that I'm with the company um, because his mm-hmm. attitude towards leadership is is what I think is correct. Oh, cool. um, and it is <clears throat> about um, you know respecting people and uh, you know like gr- and developing people and getting people on you know uh, getting getting people who are. <clears throat> um, God, there's uh, I'm trying to trying to dilute or not dilute, but uh, trying to consolidate a bunch of ideas down into a, a relatively concise statement. And I'm probably going to chop this up a, a bit, but um, it's about management principles uh, around like developing people um, rather than, you know, it's, 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 it's leading rather than bossing, you know, it's right. like there, there's a, right. a really good book, like one right. of the, I, it's really funny because I wasn't involved in leadership in school or anything like that. And the idea of being in leadership or being in management, like I was never into politics or student council or anything like that. It was hmm. just never, um, uh, never, uh, it was just never my thing. I was just never like, it, it never even occurred to me to, to try to be involved. Um, and there were other kids who would like, who are constantly running for student council and they're, I don't, I don't know if that's, um, but you were into theater. Yeah, no, I was in, I was into performance and, um, and I was always good at public speaking. I was good at at debate. Um, and at being loud. Yeah. Very, (laughs) very good at being loud. Um, but so where the fucking lost my train of thought. Hang on a second. I'm definitely going to have to make some cuts in here. Um, yeah, let me find a find a strong point to to jump back in on management. Um, that is not bossing. Yeah. So when I when I got into, I mean, it was in the last um, ten or fifteen years that I um, started finding some resources, reading some books and stuff, and, and really finding this uh, finding writing on on this concept of leadership. Um, that really spoke to me. And so one of the first ones was this book called leaders eat last by Simon Sinek. Um, and, uh, he's got a couple of other, um, got another book called start with why, uh, and it, but it's just, it's fascinating to me, the overlap. And I don't know if many, if there are many people who've kind of covered this, but, um, the overlap between the, the, the relevant principles of, um, like studying, generational trauma and studying leadership. Um, Whoa. Because I think there's some overlap. Whoa, bro. Whoa, 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 whoa. Generational trauma and leadership overlap. Yeah. Generational <laughs> leadership trauma. Leadership trauma. Never mind. No, no leadership trauma. No, because like, think about it. Um, <laughs> Like, think about the dysfunction that exists within uh, corporate America. Like, take the uh, the the way that uh, you know, the, the like corporate pay structure and greed and and trickle down economics have all led to led from from a point in like the 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 fifties and sixties and the you know the era when the this country was uh, at its most prosperous and growing the most uh, and. Um, and like the top end of the of the uh, income scale was maybe uh, a single factor high. Like you're talking like the richest people, the, the most wealthy people are doing maybe ten times 
earning maybe 10 times as much. I don't know, maybe, maybe a little bit more than that than like their, their, their most entry level employees. Right. Um, and now you've got, you know, like these, you know, banking CEOs and, and shit where, you know, somebody is made like their, the, the average employee wage is in the mid, you know, fifty sixty thousand $60,000. And then you've got somebody who's making hundreds of millions of dollars a year. And the idea, you know, and we've talked about like, obviously, uh, if, if you want to go with like the theory of labor value, clearly it is not possible that one person's labor is producing a hundred million dollars in value while another person's labor is only producing $60,000 in labor. Uh, that's, that, that's, that's an absurd thing to, to even try to argue. Um, but we have like the, you know, and, and it starts with, with, um, you know, Satan himself, Ronald Reagan, um, when like, it's amazing to me that everybody knows that trickle down economics is bullshit, but it's still at the core of like so much economic policy. So like all these, any, any kind anytime like a tax cut is put in place that primarily, benefits the wealthiest people that's fucking trickle down economics um and everybody knows that trickle down economics is bullshit everybody like the the very basic the 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 like the most basic um like example that you can give somebody if they don't already understand how completely bullshit trickle down economics is um let's say you have a thousand dollars and you can either give a thousand dollars to one person or give a hundred dollars to ten people. You give a hundred dollars to ten people. How much of that money is going to go directly into the economy by by way of those people spending them spending it immediately? Lots. Most. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like the overwhelming majority, because the average person is living on is is living in a financial situation where if they have an extra hundred dollars, it's not going into the bank, it's not going into the savings. They're going to spend it on something because they have something that they could use that extra hundred dollars for. So most, if not all, of that thousand dollars going directly into the economy immediately when you give it to those people. You give a thousand dollars. You give a thousand dollars to one single person, and it doesn't matter how rich that person is. Um, but it, but you know, obviously the more wealthy they are, the less likely they are, the less, per, the smaller percentage of that thousand dollars they're going to dump to, directly into the economy because they didn't need it. They didn't need to spend it right away. So they're going to invest it and the, and right. or, you know, it's, they're going to throw it on their, they're going to throw it on their money pile. <clears throat> yeah, it's. And even if you give, even if you give a thousand dollars to one of those ten people that you were going to give the hundred dollars to, the odds are that that one person, if you give them a thousand dollars, they are going to spend a lot of it, but they're probably going to save some of it, which is good. And that's like that's that's good individual financial practice. But the the most effective thing when you talk about stimulation of the economy, the most effective way to spend any amount of money is always going to be to spread it, it like it for to again sp- sp- specifically for the effect of, of economic stimulation mm-hmm. like the the most effective way to stimulate the economy to get people spending money is to just give money to the people who are going to spend it and trickle down economics is the ridiculous concept that by giving more money to the quote unquote job creators uh that they will event because they because and it, it all ties back to uh to fucking um uh shit i'm gonna forget the name of um oh prosperity gospel 
So prosperity gospel is one of the things that um, is, or at least I, I see as being um, like one of the things that really uh, tied together the uh, the financial right and the religious right. Um, it's like prior to the 1980s, people who were intensely religious were not intensely political because it kind of doesn't make sense to be intensely political when you're intensely religious, because unless, unless you are trying to create a, uh, a Christo fascist, you know, um, uh, theocracy, which is, what's which is, which is what people, you know, there are plenty of people who are trying to, to do that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the America that we, that we grew up in and, and America as it was founded, um, it was much more wild, widely understood and agreed upon um, that religion had no place in politics. Um, it's really obvious for me to see where ancestral trauma comes in in terms of ownership. Um, I've been able, I've made a video for the Free System Project called Scarcity Ownership and Scarcity comes in so many forms where it's not like we have scarcity of love, scarcity of food, scarcity of so many things, but that is actually unprocessed fear inside of the human body that we haven't processed yet. Yeah. And it's just being projected outward and ownership of land, but also of another human. Um, you know, you're, you were talking earlier uh, even about um, religions that use control as a way to dominate people which is just using the fear that's inside of us and manipulating us from our fear, which is what Fox News is doing. And the um, Republican Party, unfortunately, is doing that right now. And I don't want to box box too many people in because I know there are a lot of people who are in the Republican Party who are good fucking people. And I don't want to say anything. I don't want to typify either. Yeah, I mean, or I don't stereotype either, but I just it, to say, just to add to what you've been talking about around the monetary system and the power dynamics that are currently at play here and the relationship to our unprocessed trauma. And I think there's more for us to explore and think about there because exploitation is a part of that too. And I'm still curious about that and looking at that. But anyway, prosperity gospel. Okay, so so first of all, I I will say that I don't understand, um, and and th- this isn't even a judgment; it's, it's a genuine statement. I don't understand um, because I I do agree with you. There there are people who are still members of the Republican Party, um, and who I know and who I think are 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 still good people. I mean, they're, they're uh, people that I'm, I'm I'm close to. I don't understand. Um, I don't understand, mm-hmm. and 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 I think. The flip side is, um, uh, and of course, this is like part of what they've been been fed. I think that um, part of it is that uh, they've been the people have been fed this. Uh, first of all, this concept that communism is inherently evil, and that goes back fucking you know dec- more more than half a century. And and then the Republican Party and and you know Fox News and the, the uh, have been. Um, equating the democratic party to, and I'm like, I'm not a huge supporter of the democratic party either. They're just the, the, uh, the lesser of, of two evils. Um, and, and the, the Republican party is actively trying right now it's bad. to, 
um, to to criminalize gay marriage. So it took that long to make to to legalize gay marriage nationwide. And they're trying that that it is on the platform. This is not a conspiracy theory. This is not like some insane. Like this is this is part of. The, the the platform is that they they want to that, that that's what they want to do so i i don't understand um how how anybody supports them the only thing that i do understand is that they have been so um poisoned against the concepts of of communism communism and socialism yeah. which are then which they then repeatedly tie to the democratic party even though it's not remotely accurate right. um but they like there's like this this whole fucking idea on uh, on the Republican side of like oh if you like communi- communism go live in Venezuela or if you want socialism go live in live in Venezuela it's like no the okay the the, the socialist policies the policies that Repu- Republicans continue continue uh, on uh, continue to call socialist and call socialism like those policies the the policies that are supported by the majority of of Americans like socialized healthcare. Those policies are in place in a bunch of countries where it's working just fucking fine. Okay, you guys continue to point to countries that have failed because because of... we went in there and put a coup in yes. there and <laughs> fucked those governments up, which had nothing to do with them. Latin okay. America could have led the entire world. Latin America, I love Latin America. I I'm on my knees. We could learn so much from Mexico and Latin America and socialized and they extended families and taking care of each other and dancing together in the streets. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the um, the extent to which the United States has directly and deliberately undermined democratically elected governments in not just Latin America and other parts of the world as well. Asia. Um because of fear of communism, uh, which ties directly to fear, fear of, of these... people working together. Well, but also, I, no, honestly, I don't think that's nearly as much it. It's fear of the Soviet Union. That's like that's that's where most of it comes out of. Because also, let's not fucking forget that what was called so- communism in the Soviet Union and what is called communism in current day China are nothing re- like bear, not bear no resemblance was. to what Karl Marx actually fucking wrote about. So. So there's there's that, um, <clears throat> but yeah. So that you'll you'll see fucking uh, Republican trolls on the internet um, talking about how many people have died under communism, and it's like, okay, people starve to death under capitalism every fucking day. So I don't know what your point is, um, but anyway, prosperity gospel. So prosperity gospel mm-hmm. um, at it like at, at its base is um, the the foundation of like all of the the televangel like the the big like blow up in televangelism uh, in in the 80s um, and it's this idea that you give more money to the church uh, and then you get money you it, it's it, they call it's called seeding so you like you plant a seed uh, as a like you your the money you give to the church really this is is how you are going to get more money back so it is like it, it's der- <laughs> sounds like a Pyramid yeah, scheme. Yeah, it's absolutely a pyramid scheme. Like, and th- so this, and is, this you, is what God wants for right, us. Right. So this is how you get these mega preachers with with their own jets and you know the uh, <laughs> fucking Falwells and the Bakers and um and all those guys. And so it's directly at odds the with the eleventh commandment. <clears throat> it's it's directly at odds with so much of of what Jesus actually talked. I about. I know he was dirt poor and was like, "Fuck money." Like fucking like. 
Christian people who actually like who who actually believe in in Jesus Christ and read and believe in what he said should have been after Jerry Falwell with fucking pitchforks and torches. <laughs> like they should have they should have literally crucified him. Oh, <laughs> Leo. <laughs> I'm just that's so the, and so that like um that idea of that you know that that it's actually good to be rich the the the, the, the right. you know and that that the churches right. that are displaying uh ostentatious and offensive amounts of wealth are not in fact offensive to the core beliefs of Christianity uh, right. that they are you know that that it's actually good to be wealthy so that uh, idea starting with with televangelism kind of pervaded uh, certainly American Christianity in right. general uh, through the eighties and on into today, right. um, and so and and that was very convenient and worked out, out very well uh, for the other uh, part of the like the other side of the the political right, which was um, people who wanted to just suck every fucking ounce of wealth out of. Uh, out of every single person that they possibly can and and consolidate wealth into the hands of as few people as possible. Which uh, is the case of the Mormon <clears throat> church, I think. Um, honestly, the Mormon church has, uh, for as, as m- many myriad problems uh, as the Mormon church has in its, in its history, um, the current Mormon church strikes me as... Um, not the one of the biggest, uh, like one of the biggest offenders. Um, I think one of the problems within the Mormon church continues to be, uh, that they pretend that they, that they, that they change the rules and then pretend that they didn't change the rules. Um, <laughs> Like the the prohibition on caffeine, uh, like that rule getting uh, all of a sudden not nearly as important when the when Pepsi bought them out that when they bought controlling share of Coca Cola, <laughs> yeah, um, and the I mean the the whole Mark of Cain thing, like it was so uh, up until I think the seventies, uh, a fundamental part of Mormon doctrine was that having dark skin uh was the the mark of Cain uh and that you Gross. that you couldn't be uh a member of the church that you like that yeah dark skin was essentially inherently uh evil and um and then yeah in the 70s they were like oh no never mind um which good for them for making that change um but they do definitely try to uh downplay the fact that that was ever uh, genuinely part of of their religion, and uh, I mean, there's the whole like, I think South Park's take on um, on the foundation of Mormonism was 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 kind of uh, good because like, th- so they spent this entire episode basically just uh, recapping all of the like foundation of how Mormonism came about with the gold plates and all that shit, <laughs> um, and uh, and they're like, yeah, no, this is legitimately what they they believe, like. Joseph Smith said he found gold plates and uh, then he said he could translate the writing that was on the gold plates by putting rocks and, and gold plates into a hat. Um, but then he couldn't reproduce it when he had, do you know all this stuff? No. Oh my God. Oh fuck. We're going to have to do an entire episode on the history of Mormonism now. Um, no. Okay. So this is like the, the foundation of, of how Joseph Smith was given the book, book of Mormon. Uh, the story is 
that Joseph <laughs> was visited by the angel Mar- Moroni. And um, the angel Moroni told him to go. Is this and, angel male, female, genderqueer, non-binary, trans? Uh, I believe this uh, angel exists beyond the beyond, beyond the gender beyond beyond the um, the, the the spectrum of of, ne- of necessity of gender. Cool. Um, I could be wrong. It could be male. I mean, there's there's <laughs> plenty. <laughs> Plenty of deeply misogynistic shit baked into. Uh, oh yeah, Mormonism a, a, into has Mormonism. Yeah, there's some. Um, not least of which is the fact that only the men women are, get to wait. Yeah, no. At Heaven's Gate for their husbands. To only come. only men are allowed to go on missions, and yeah, the, not only do they get to wait, but uh, the man gets to choose whether or not. Because when um, uh, Mormon man and woman get married, um, they are told each other's true names. Um, and then when they die, the, um, husband has to call the wife to go to heaven. So she doesn't get to go to heaven unless he calls her there. Yeah. It's pretty pretty gross. But the one thing that's, that South Park hit on when they were doing this episode. Okay. So do you have the, do you want to tell me the history first or the, okay. Well, I mean, so the, 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 uh, the, the history of how he gets the book is that so he, he the, he's visited by the angel Moroni that tells him to go dig a hole and he'll find these golden plates and he goes and digs a hole and he finds the golden plates and then he goes finds a friend and he's like hey I found these golden plates but you can't look at them nobody else ever saw the golden plates um, but these golden plates have writing on them but it's an alien, ancient alien god writing that um, nobody can read but I can read it if I put <laughs> if I put the golden plates <clears throat> If I don't. I, I should try this. If I put, the, oh, it won't work because I'm female. <clears throat> Never mind. If I put the golden plates into a hat with these seer stones, then I can read what's on the plates, and then oh, I can. So I'm going to st- stick my face into this hat, and I'm going to tell you what it says. And his, bu- and his buddy's like, "That all sounds legit." And so his buddy starts <laughs> writing his stuff down, and then his buddy goes home to his wife, and his wife is like, "You did fucking what with who?" And <laughs> and his, and his wife is like. Okay, well, if he's really translating it from the golden plates, then um, you can th- then tell him that you lost these pages that you that you copied today, and go back and ask him if he can retranslate those pages. And uh, and so the guy does. He goes back to Joseph Smith, and Joseph Smith is like, um, "God is mad at us for losing those pages, so now he won't let me read that book anymore. So I can't retranslate those same pages." Now we have to translate from different pages, which are going to say the, basically the same thing, but not quite the same thing, because he can't remember what he said. <clears throat> um, it's like Joseph Smith is so so clearly a con artist um, that like there's no there, there's there's no maybe there's no like there's no debate about it. Like he's so clearly a con artist. Um, <laughs> But the 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 point that South Park made, and I and I do think that this is this is valid, is that um, to the extent that like it, we can say bad things about plenty of religions, right? Um, if people find comfort in the Mormon religion and they are not doing harm, then. It kind of does. Like I, we talked about this before. How I, I, I said I don't feel like. Or actually, we talked about it in the future. Um, <laughs> I said I don't feel like you can really punch down when it comes to uh, Christianity and religion in general. Um, 
the one case where I will say that that it's punching down or it's at least unnecessary and mean and where you're the bad guy if you do it um, is if people have religion and it makes them happy and it's not harming anybody, then let them have that. That's fine. Um, all of us have things that are comforting you, comforting and maybe idiosyncratic and may yep. seem silly to other people yeah. um but yeah if you're not harming anybody um then you should be able to do that that's fine however if you are if harming. you are harming people stop um but and and you know that then that brings about the conversation of like whether or not people are, are able to admit to themselves that they're being harmful. And that's where a, a ton of the harm that is caused uh, in the name of religion comes from is where people is people who, you know, think that they are not doing harm, but they actually are. And it, it, did, I think we, talked, and yeah, I mean, we talked about this on the, on the religion ep- episode, uh, didn't we about how, um, about what came up with the Southern Baptist church and everything like the big abuse scandal. Okay, so that'll be in the future. And I think when I even see friends, people who have studied psychology, people who've studied sociology and and were on the path, um, it's hard for individuals to see and be able to really authentically and honestly reflect on their behavior. It just is generally not something that most of us, our society doesn't, show us how to do that and we have so much shame and so much denial about ourselves that it's so it seems really hard for us to actually be able to to authentically reflect on ourselves and see where we have impact that's harmful and then the other thing that's tricky about that in this whole conversation is having enough self-awareness to know when you're being triggered and when it's actually not harmful and so there has to be able to have, um, exist uh, emotional maturity and self-awareness between the, the parties involved so that we can have a discussion not only on how behavior impacts us, but like some behavior you might think that it's, it's affecting you negatively, but it might not have anything to do with that behavior. Like somebody's just dancing around and, and internally you're like, well, they need to stop dancing. They need to stop singing. People have done this to me my entire life. Shame. But that's a projection of that person's ancestral trauma onto another person. So I think it feels like to evolve personally and systemically, we have to have language and understanding around our own issues and what we project and then have the ability and the capacity and the courage, which for me is really hard being an empath, to stand up and say when something is impacting us harmfully. And more and more people are standing up to do that. And I think the more we can stand up and acknowledge that things are harming us and then even maybe go a little bit further and believe that we deserve to live in a world without all of this harm. That's where I'm at now. It's, um, there was a guy that I studied uh, named Daniel Floor, and he does, he's a white guy who, who teaches about ancestral medicine. Um, and he said that he thinks from his studies, one of the reasons why so many humans have a dystopian view of our future, 
well, we kind of, we don't like ourselves necessarily, but it's also because of ancestral trauma, partially from his point of view, it's because those, those memories haven't been processed, but they're still in us and they're, they aren't great. You know, they're, they're nasty things that happened to our ancestors and we're carrying those memories and, and we get confused about what's the past and what's the present and what's the future. But I do feel like we are generally speaking, we're all right. We're all right. We're ignorant. We have a lot to learn. We're scared, but we could evolve and stop harming the planet and each other so much. And I don't know how that will happen or what that would look like, but I, it would, and it would take work. It would take some effort. We, and, and we don't really like, um, to change. <laughs> no, we, we, we don't like to change. We're also, I mean, <clears throat> like it might happen. Like we, we might figure it out and, uh, and not drive things to the point where, uh, the surface of this planet is no longer, uh, viable for, Fuck, for we do for not humanity. want that to happen. Like we, we might, we legitimately might not. Um, it's and true. like one of the, <laughs> Fuck. um, one of the, uh, the games that I forget if I've, if I've, um, brought this up to you before, but, um, the, the game of like, what's, cause it's, it's really a matter of what's going to happen first. So, um, What's going to happen first? Are we... Will everyone listen to this podcast first? Podcast first. <laughs> um, are we going to uh, continue down the road of uh, environmental destruction to the point where uh, the, the surface of the planet is no longer livable? <laughs> or Choose your own adventure. Or um, is there going to be an AI singularity? <laughs> this one <laughs> i love the ai singularity one and the only way that we survive the ai singularity is if the robots have use for us uh or if they're for some reason benevolent oh, I which think... i don't know why they would be it's not it's it's certainly not logical uh to to keep a self-destructive species alive um, <laughs> but like maybe maybe the robots will be nice to us for <laughs> some reason <laughs> I don't know why they will be, be the loving parents we never had. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Robots. Our children will be the loving. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> this is something actually that I that I I forgot to when we were talking about kind of the um, the uh, overlap between uh, leadership theory and um, like dealing with generational trauma and and like dealing with personal growth. Yes, because uh, one of the things that is important when you are trying to um, trying to learn as an individual or like as a company trying to like uh, institute new uh, approaches to management and leadership Mm -hmm. is you have to deal with people who are not trained to do that. Right. Uh, And similarly in, in in a similar way to when you are uh, the, the, a a person in a family and have people older and people, you know, your same age and people Mm. younger than you, um, who are, who are not on the, the same path of trying to work through, through healing. Um, so like in, in, uh, leadership principles, it's, uh, it's often referred to as like managing upward or, um, so Mm. 
taking the things that you're learning and not only using, not only applying them to how you relate to the people who report to you, the people that are, you're the boss of, um, but also how you interact with the people who are uh, above you within the organiz organizational structure. And that is very similar. It's basically the same concept um, as, you know, within the like personal, personal, like family dynamic um, uh, idea of how you not only have to, um, like heal your own trauma, try to pass on a better paradigm to your offspring or to anybody within the, you know, whatever the family structure is, um, who, who looks up to you, you know, um, but also try to work with the people who are, who are older than you, who are already steeped in, uh, this, whether it is generational trauma or, uh, or, or corporate or, uh, corporate dysfunction. Um, like it's the, the same basic concept. Wow. Oh my God. People, did you just hear that? That was so slick. <laughs> that was really slick. I like, um, will you talk a little bit more? I mean, you just did a great job, but this idea of leadership being, um, not based in power dynamics and not bullying is a different way of looking at leadership than say, even some of the spiritual leadership paradigms of guru to student or um, parent to child or boss to uh, worker where the person who has the leadership role, you know, can't take feedback and they always are the ones that know right. Um, is there anything else that you have to say in your experience with this new way of looking at leadership that you could talk about? Well, yeah, I mean, that, that, that is kind of the, um, like a, a big part of, uh, that distinction between, um, you know, going at it from a, a leadership con a concept, um, versus like a, uh, a, a boss concept, um, that, yeah, you want people to do, things because they want to do them. Um, and it doesn't matter, like they can be wanting to do them because that's what they get paid to do. Um, but yeah, it doesn't, uh, it just doesn't, it's, it's in no way beneficial to try and boss people around to say, <laughs> do it because I said so. Like that's not how companies grow and flourish and succeed. That's how you get a, that's how that. And I think that, um, there are a lot of companies that are exploring this stuff right now because there is a labor shortage. Um, right. And, be, and they're realizing that um, when people have, when, when you cultivate a, uh, a culture where the only reason that people are staying around is because they have to, because they don't have a choice, because they can't find a better job, because they don't have an option, then what happens as soon as they get an option? They leave. They fucking leave. <laughs> So if you cultivate a culture where people are like believe in, and it, does, it doesn't have to be this like, you know, rah, rah, we are family, like, you know, bullshit uh, paradigm of like, you know, where people are brainwashed into like some like the, the company dynamic or whatever. Right. It's just a matter of building a culture where people are respected for the work that they do yeah, and where they respect the people who do, yeah. who, who they report to. Yeah. Um, like the yeah. respected and appreciated. I, I can say right now that, um, like the, cause I, I worked for this company before, uh, and I left 
And part of the reason that I huh. left was because of the person that I reported to before, huh. um, who was somebody I liked on a personal level, uh, but I did not have a whole lot of, uh, I didn't, ha- didn't have a very high opinion of him as, uh, as, as a boss. Um, and why, um, I, he, 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 he was not doing leadership. Um, he would fall back on, you know, it's just this very old school thing. He would, he would fall back on, um, making on belittling, belittling people on, on, you know, making them feel like their accomplishments didn't matter compared to, you know, like if there, if there was something that you had done wrong that you needed to be, you know, that that you needed to be disciplined for or whatever, um, he would, he would like make that out whatever that thing was, make it out to be, uh, so much bigger than any, uh, than any accomplishment or anything else positive that you were bringing to the table, like, but just within the, you know, within that conversation. Uh, and so it was just like the, these, these old and, and dysfunctional management techniques that just, that just didn't work. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was one of the reasons that like, um, there was a lot of other stuff. I didn't like the position that I was doing uh, at the time either. It was a large part and I had, and I, and I had a really good opportunity come up. So that was also a large part of the reason that I left at that time. But, um, but yeah, there, I like that, that dynamic was not good. And, um, so there was no like loyalty to like to his leadership or anything like that. Whereas the, the guy that I report to now, um, there's a lot more mutual respect and, and understanding. And, um, and so that would like, I'm, I'm, I'm much less like, and not, not just him, but like several people up, like, um, uh, up, up the, the, the management chain, uh, above me, um, where I feel like my, contribution is respected and that I'm like my work is appreciated. And, um, so that like, I'm not like, <laughs> again, back to, back to my original point. Like when you create a scenario where people are fucking miserable and all they can think is like, I wish I could quit this job. Then what do they do as soon as they get the opportunity to quit that job? Um, I have a question, uh-huh. um, that I want to think about with you. Um, so, we are at different levels in the planet on the planet um, in terms of emotional awareness, self-awareness, uh, gosh, largely those two things. And, um, and so I'm curious. Do you mean just people I, in general? Yeah. Uh-huh. All, it seems like we're all in different. I mean, that's one of the areas that I, I experience a lot of suffering in myself here because all the humans seem to be living in a different reality, but we're all living on this planet. Um, and so, but there does seem to be in terms of this, this idea of leadership and you have some people say that have done lots of work on themselves and lots of work in leadership or whatever. And then you have people who have less experience with that. But they're still open to growth and change. In your, in your experience with that, um, how does it work when, you're, when you have one person with more experience and one with less? Can it still work to work together um, and to teach and to learn, but without having a power dynamic? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
This is something that is very fascinating that um, Sebastian Younger covers in the book Tribe when he's talking about um, Hmm. the, uh, he talked about the the Chilean miner disaster Hmm. and those guys got trapped uh, down in the below ground. Um, oh, it was when you were um, off grid. God, you might not have heard about the story. Hmm. Um, so a bunch of miners, um, cave collapse, and these guys are trapped underground um, for, I want to say, two months. What? Yeah. That that might have been a volume spike. So everybody <clears throat> um, <laughs> working on our volume levels. That, whoa. I two think, months. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure without looking it up, but um, it was it was a long while. It was, it was big, like international news, um, especially because they all survived. Every single man down there survived. So they um, got because what they had to do. Obviously, the ground was unstable. Um, so what they had to do first was find them, uh, make contact with them. They, I think, ended up um, drilling a, a, a tunnel or or having a way to get them like food and water, but it took them whatever the amount of time was, uh, to get, to create a a hole that was big enough to actually bring bring a person up. Uh, but one of the things that, um, that, that Sebastian Younger talks about is the way that the leadership dynamic within that group changed based on the necessary tasks. So when they needed, one thing, whether it was just like keeping everybody calm or pooling all their resources and figuring out what they were going to do as far as like what food they had and what water they had, whatever, um, like the people who took charge and the people who took leadership in, in that task were different from the people who, uh, took charge when it came to, when it was, when they were like exploring the caves and trying to figure out if they were going to get out or something. That's like an example, but the, the, that's the basic idea. And, and it's the, the way that, um, and he also ties it to, um, this is, this is one of the things that, um, I'm going to go off on a tangent about Jordan Peterson really quickly. Um, because, uh, people who, uh, try to be like gender deterministic about specific roles, mm-hmm. um, are wrong. First of all, <laughs> Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> because the reality is, when well, you, white male is saying like, this, by the way. When you put, white cisgendered male, thank God. When you put, thank you, God. Any group of people, any group of people, any any uh, color combination, any gender combination, any, any age combination, hmm. and you give them different tasks, they will like different people will riot, will come to the front and move to the back of those tasks based on who is best suited for them. If you have a dynamic where they are all like be, they're all accepting of the fact that everybody has different things to contribute. And that's like the best case wow. scenario. If you have this bullshit, uh, alpha male oh. fucking scenario where there, you have guys who think they just need to be at the front of the pack, no matter what the task is, then you get things not working well. Yes, because you have the Did same because you have the same brains. Alpha males who don't step actually, down. Alpha males aren't real. First of all, <laughs> first of all, and second of all, and third yes! of all, yes, that alpha male wolf bullshit that you guys. <laughs> yes, Leo, please. It isn't real. Preach, it preach, was, motherfucker. Preach. It was never real. 
the dynamics within wolf packs are much more closely, much more closely resemble the leadership principles that I'm talking about than the uh, I'm the I'm the I'm the biggest dick in the pack. I'm the, uh. Yeah. Um. So yeah, one of the one, one of one of the things that you so, get when so. you when you cultivate um, a uh, an environment, a culture of uh, mutual respect and and leadership and principles of leadership is that um, people are encouraged to give input and to give um, feedback give feedback and so they will the, and one you, person is not always like, right no you you can tell your boss when you disagree with them and you can, <gasps> yeah what um and also what like, you can when, tell your boss when you disagree with them but also <gasps> like the boss knows and the team knows everybody everybody within the group knows that everybody has different strengths and so when you're doing this task and it's a task that involves lifting a heavy object. Then the guy who is most capable of lifting a heavy object is probably going to be the first person in line. And if the task involves uh, getting your hands into a small place, then the guy with the big the the guy who lifts heavy objects is not the best person. The person with the small hands is the best one. And right. and if the next task is fucking doing crossword puzzles, yes. then the guy who's best at crossword puzzles is the best person. Uh, yeah. Beautiful. Um, I also wanted to ask you, it's jumping around a little bit. Hang on a second. Um, uh, I think we need to jump to a break really quickly because, um, I have some food on the barbecue that I need to check on. We're back. So we'll be right back. Listeners. Right back. Some chicken. Oh my gosh. And good news, everyone. I just found out. Guess what? Tomorrow I'm going to get to meet my brother from my mom's side. I mean, I've already met him. I met him twice in my 20s and his name, I can't say his name, but I'm going to meet him tomorrow. Oh my gosh. So exciting. Very exciting. This is this has been the most exciting experience of my life to some degree. So while we weren't wow. recording... You were asking me about a conundrum that you're having. Um, and in response to that conundrum, I want to tell you... Tell me a story, Brother tell, Leo. Tell me a story. I want to tell you a story from Star Trek. Oh, yes. It's very exciting. It's, it's Aliens. Gather, mm. gather around, children. Let's, let's hear the story of the Kobayashi Maru. Oh, yeah. The Kobayashi Maru. Does not involve throat singing. Damn it. Okay. Um, so the Kobayashi Maru is part of the uh, Starfleet uh, uh, testing that you have to go through before you can uh, be a... I don't know if you have to do it before you can be like a captain or whatever, but uh, anyway, it's a test. And the point of the test is that you can't beat it. It's impossible to beat. The point of the test, it's called what again? The Kobayashi Maru. And you can't beat it. It is a, it, it is a no-win situation. Fuck you. All right. So the point uh, of the Kobayashi Maru is to get their leaders to understand, to swallow, to live with the concept that there is such a thing as a no-win situation. That you might be in a scenario where you do everything right and it still doesn't go the way that you want it to. (laughs) Now the, the, 
The iron. So, does, is, that, do, does, does, is that applicable to the thing that you were asking? Me I about? think so. Yeah. I think I'm. I'm fine. It's settling. It's sinking in. I. I. You know, my patterning is to to just grasp and try and. It is a very normal thing. It is a very normal way to uh, to approach the world. I think it is the default for most of us uh, to look for. I mean, to go through our lives. Um, trying to find the correct way to do things, uh, or at least a correct way to do things, um, with the hope, the want, the need, the expectation that when you do things the correct way, that the outcome is the thing that you would like to have happen, or a thing that you would like to have happen. Um, and it and it is a really difficult thing to swallow that um, that you can that that there are scenarios where you do nothing wrong. And it's and things still don't go the way that you would like them to. Has this happened to any of you in the audience ever, where you've tried and done your best with something and it failed anyway? I'm, audience, I'm gonna <laughs> hit hit us up on. You can email us. <laughs> Except we probably won't read the email. No, 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 I have alerts set up for that email. Oh, you address. do? Yeah, so. Okay, so we could start. All right, so H I M M B. Pod at gmail.com. You can eat. What does H I M M B stand for? How I Met My Brother. <gasps> Pod at gmail.com. And you can tell us about failure. Something in your life you tried really hard. You did all the right things. You read all the books. You talked to all of the people. <laughs> and you still failed. I'm failing my way to success. That so. Uh, but I, it fucking hurts. Yeah. Yeah, it sucks. It's fucking terrifying. Anyway, um, see what's ironic about one of the um, most well-known heroes within the <laughs> Star Trek universe is that uh, James T. Kirk famously cheated at the Kobayashi Maru. So he beat, no way he beat the Kobayashi Maru, but he cheated. He hacked the computer, uh, so he never learned the lesson. Whoa! That the Kobayashi Maru was intended to teach him. Oh. <laughs> Alexa heard me say the the c word. Kobe Auntie Maru. No computer, computer, shut up. <laughs> so what happened to Captain Kirk? Oh, he you know had a long and, and illustrious career. But um, did anything happened... happen because he never actually realized the truth, which is that sometimes we're going to fail no matter what we do? Well, they did use it. And honestly, I haven't watched. The, so that happened in the um, the the reboot timeline. So there are uh, there are two timelines currently, at least two timelines, way more depending on which, like if you include books and stuff. But um, the, uh, the, the, the Star Trek original series timeline and the um, Star Trek movie timeline um, are, don't follow the same continuity because the first thing that happens in the J.J. Abrams Star Trek uh, reboot film from like the early 2000s is that um, James Kirk's dad dies, uh, which did not happen to like original James Kirk. So that creates a split in the timeline. So basically all of the, um, the movies that have... Uh, Chris Pine and uh, Zachary Quinto and um, who else is in those ones? Um, Are those the like Into the Darkness? Star Trek Into Darkness is one of those, yeah. I want to see that one. It's all right. Oh. I mean, it just, it has f- fucking motocross bikers in it, which uh, that, that was, 
that was when they lost me. I was like, you you have motocross people doing flips in your Star Trek movie? You should go fuck yourself. <laughs> They're still fun. I mean, I really, I, I, I very much enjoy the uh, Chris Pine as uh, as Captain Kirk and, and Zachary Quinto as Spock. Um, there's been a lot of, uh, of What's expansion. your favorite? Like, favorite? Star Trek? Um probably deep space nine so i cut my teeth on oh so this is a great preview listeners because um oh uh we we need to make bonus content and um and so what i like to do is watch tv and then talk about it and heidi hasn't seen most tv um (laughs) so i'm going to be uh force feeding heidi a bunch of uh stuff including star trek yes 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 bonus content yes 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 in the future we got a plan for this sign up for the Patreon, this is yeah. If you want to hear us talk about um, television, yeah, television and movies. I also so there's a movie that we have to watch for bonus content um, called Have you ever Chucky? No, we don't have to watch Chucky. We can, I guess, if we can, we can do a Halloween episode. But uh, have you ever heard of the movie um, uh, Welcome Home, Roxy Carmichael? No. Okay. Um, it's a it's a uh, Jeff Daniels and Winona Ryder writer movie from, from the uh, like late '80s, early '90s. Um, but I think it will. I think it will resonate with you. So that's on my list for bonus content watching. Great. Um, what was I talking about? Okay, so I have a question. Oh, Deep Space Nine. Deep Space probably, Nine. Okay, probably my favorite Trek. But I also really like like Star Trek Below Decks is really good. <laughs> um, you just I, caught yourself. That was really impressive. Strange New Worlds is one of the newest ones, and I really, really like the first season of Strange New Worlds. Wait, so um, this is not a movie. This is TV show. Yeah, so there are um, how many Star Trek TV series? So there's the original Star Trek, the original series. There was an animated series in the 80s that was Star yeah. Trek, the animated series. And then Star Dork. Trek, the next generation came Dork. out. And Star Trek, the next generation was when I got introduced to Star Trek. Dork. Um, four years into Star Trek Next Generation is when Star Trek Deep Space Nine aired and Deep Space Nine kind of got... Deep um, Throat what? Deep, yeah, Deep Throat, <laughs> deep throat Nine uh, inches of <laughs> Klingon penis. Um, so Deep Space Nine kind of got a bad, uh, uh, like bad reception just because um, Next Generation was really in, in its swing at the time. So it just didn't... didn't gain the audience that um that i think in retrospect that it deserved but um, you liked it i didn't like it that much oh. at the time i actually i i re-watched all of deep space nine uh, a couple of years ago and i was like holy shit the show is really good because problem with with next generation even though like that was my like you know the, the 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 my first love within star trek that show starts off fucking rough like the first couple of seasons of of next generation there are some real turds um <laughs> I love turd. Like such ne- a great word. Next generation is when the uh, next gen the Ferengi are introduced. Do you know what a Ferengi is? I've heard of the Ferengi. The Ferengi are. Uh, but I don't know what they are. Horrifying, like <laughs> Nazi Germany level caricatures of Jewish people. Like the, I don't think that the writers realized that they were doing that. I have to, in my heart of hearts, believe that they didn't realize what they were doing when they created these characters, but they created these characters that have huge noses, <laughs> huge ears, and are obsessed with gold. Huh. Um, and also... Those in, are the Ferengi? Those are the Ferengi. Huh. Their appearance never changes. You look very happy right now, but they're, they're skanky, you said. 
<clears throat> oh no, they're 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 the, like the way that they are presented is like again, especially in the first couple of episodes. Because within Deep Space Nine, there's one, there's there are several main characters who are Ferengi. So the 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 entire Ferengi species gets more fleshed out, gets 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 more depth, um, and 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 stops being as much of a caricature. So you have like several characters that develop in Deep Space Nine that give like the Ferengi something to to be beyond just this horrifying caricature. <laughs> Uh, that again looks like a Nazi propaganda cartoon of a Jew, um, because literally, like the the first episode. Also, in the first episode, they all physicalize. There are three actors playing f- playing Ferengi uh, in this this uh, episode. The, uh, it's called the last uh, the Ooh, last Megan. gate or something like that. Um, but uh, it, the the Enterprise crew and this Ferengi ship crew beam down onto uh, a planet. Um, and the actors playing Ferengi physicalize in a in an unsettlingly simian fashion. Like they're all they they are they, they physicalize like monkeys. Like they like with their arms above their heads yes. and shit. Um, it is uh, it, it is really unsettling. Um, so there's. There's that, and that, yeah. There's there's there are several other uh, episodes within like the first two seasons of Next Generation that are just. Do you recommend rough the Next Generation? Um, I recommend Next Generation because I love it. Um, and you recommend but, Deep Space Nine, and then what's after that? After Deep Space Nine is Voyager, and I don't like Voyager that much. Like there are a lot of people who really like Voyager. My problem with Voyager is so the um, the the core premise of Voyager is that the ship gets thrown. Way off, far, 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 super far off into space um, by a thing, right? That's that's that happens in the first episode. Is they um, so they have to go really far to get home. Uh, that's the the whole series is like them trying to get back to the Alpha Quadrant, which is where you know Earth and everything um, is, and like where the where and the where all the Alpha exists. men live. Where all, well. all the Alpha males live in the Alpha Quadrant. That's yep. right. Um, yeah. So that's like the whole series with so, all their Alpha wolves. I tried watching um, Voyager after I after I finished watching all the way through um, uh, Deep Space Nine, and it bothered me enough that I stopped watching it. Like I might've made it through season one uh, because almost every single episode was basically they discover a thing that could be their key to getting home. And then it isn't. And that's the episode. It's like, Oh, Hey, we found uh, this thing. It's a wormhole that might, we might be able to get home up. Oh, nope. All right. <laughs> the end of this episode. Okay. Next episode. Hey, so somebody has got some sort of a fancy teleporter that we've never seen before that might be able to get us home up. Oh, nope. That's, that's not going to do it either. And then is there anything after that? Uh, yes. So oh my God. we are at how many? Have we how many have we, we got covered? next gen, Deep Space Nine, Deep Throat Nine. Right. Um, so yeah, Voyager. You've got, you've got original series and then the original series animated. So after Voyager, uh, you have the somewhat controversial uh, Star Trek uh, Enterprise. Why is that controversial? Because uh, I think because the um, the opening sequence is terrible. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's actually that controversial. <laughs> that controversial. Um, but uh, that was um, the prequel series about the very first enterprise, the very first Starship Enterprise. Um, so that is oh. uh, that one. That one takes place uh, like way, way back in the past. So it's like 
very closely after the discovery of uh, of warp speed space travel. Um, cool. So it's uh, I didn't watch a ton of it. I think just because like I was how in, fast is warp speed? Uh, it is at the 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 <laughs> warp speed is at the speed of the plot. <laughs> There's no what. <laughs> so there there you can you can Google this, but so there there has um, there have been attempts to. Um, to like lay down exactly how fast warp speed is because there are, there's also warp factors. So you can go warp one, warp two, warp three, warp four, warp five. Right. And so it has at times been said that uh, warp speed, like that each uh, su- successive factor of warp is the exponent of the previous. Uh, so warp speed is the speed of light. Uh, the It is the speed of light. The, and so these giant warp, metal machines are going faster than the speed of light? Right. That's So when I say the speed of the plot, what it ef- effectively means is um, warp speed is wh- whatever you know level of warp speed is exactly the speed that it needs to be in order for the ship to get where it needs to be for the plot of the show to happen. Yes. Like there is, for, for, for a show that is generally categorized as science fiction, there is very little science uh, like hard science involved in Star Trek. So what is the actual possibility of a metal machine <clears throat> to actually go at the speed of light and not destroy itself? I think you're more qualified to answer that question than I am. I've never heard of anything other than photons. I mean, you can speed up electrons and stuff really I mean, fast now. but the, uh, the Einstein-Rosen bridge, right? Shit, I don't know the Einstein-Rosen bridge by heart. It's wormholes. It's just wormholes. Yeah. I mean, that's the... So So bending the space-time so that you're in the wormhole, the gravitational field is different, and so maybe light actually slows down in there? No. Well, physics just... Like, conventional physics just doesn't doesn't apply within a wormhole, I think. No, it doesn't basically the deal yeah but um, that's where i'm just not so sure yeah, that no, a regular like, metal machine that humans would build right now some of those things that we've heard about about ufos and whatnot they're not made with like metal panels it's a uh, metal that's all fused together well obviously first of all we don't have any evidence that and, and so a couple of things. When and now we're getting into like actual extraterrestrial shit. Yes, this episode is getting fucking long. <laughs> we got to split it into two parts. Um, yeah, we might have to. Um, because I also have to ask you a question. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> Fuck it. Then let, let's. Uh, this is going to be the end of Thanksgiving Extravaganza episode part one. Thank you for listening. Um, hang on. I'll just get this really quick here. and um join us i don't know i'll put it out like on friday whenever subscribe and then you'll know when it comes out uh for part two thanksgiving extravaganza part two um (laughs) where we talk about aliens and wherever else this conversation goes Part two, Thanksgiving part two. Thank you for joining us. We're glad you were here. If you want to support what we're doing, you can do that at patreon.com slash H-I-M-M-B or at Heidi J-L-L-C on Venmo. Thank you.
We appreciate you. Donate now.